Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Bud, we've got a short show here, relatively speaking, but a ton of information to get into it. So let's jump right in. And as always, we'll thank our friends at Louisiana Hot Sauce. Louisiana Hot Sauce, three simple ingredients, one fantastic product. Good people at New Iberia have been partners with us for five years now. Hard to believe, but uh, we always tip our cap to them, thank them. And uh, they make everything that we do possible, including morning shows like this, where we've got a bunch of listener questions and uh, some some interesting information about as the program kind of transitions into the second half of the season here. Let's get into this, man. I'm excited. We're just going to roll right into this. Uh, I know both of us are a little bit time limited this morning. Uh, so wanted to quickly go over the new depth chart and kind of bounce some things off you before we jump into these listener questions. Jordan Travis, still QB1. Uh, it seems like they don't. They don't to- totally trust Chubb to be the starter quite yet, I would say. Based on what we saw against Louisville, that, that's, that's not a, I don't think it's a bad decision, uh, but I, I do expect to see Chubb play in a lot of these games uh, throughout the rest of the year. I'll just run these and, and then just get your thoughts. Terry is listed as back, which, hey, sometimes these depth charts are totally BS, but at least if he's listed back, uh, he was not listed on the depth chart for Louisville. So that, that's potentially a good sign. Uh, Dixon Rice are still your starters there at linebacker, um, which by the way, I think are going to be your starters next year at linebacker. I, I, I have a feeling that Rice uh, will come back and take advantage of that, that extra year, uh, which is good. He's been showing some positive signs recently. So you might, might have some things trending up there at the backer positions. Now, Gant is a co-starter with, uh, with, with Jaden Lars Woodby and, and Hamsa. Fuller is, uh, is not listed on the depth chart now. Interesting. Yeah, there's, uh, you know, Gant, I, I've mentioned at times how I like kind of Gant's ability to do football math. He, he, of anybody in the back half of the defense, seems to be as, as good as anything as far as diagnosing, you know, where a ball uh, runner is, where he's going to be, and taking a taking a path to it. Uh, a lot of upside with that kid, and good to see him kind of start to, to establish a you know, establish himself as a legitimate starter. Uh, Hamza is probably a conversation that we can get to later on in the in the podcast. Uh, I think the world of that kid, but um, at some point, I think you either have to, you know, bring him back into the fold or, or congratulate him on the career that he did have here and, and wish him the best as he prepares to make what are hopefully pretty significant checks on Sunday. Um, Fuller not listed. You know, man, I mean, obviously we had a good on as line on this kid as anybody because of, uh, well, because of your job and, and particularly because of where he came from. Um, and we always knew that was going to be a, you know, a pretty boom or bust type situation. And I'm not calling the kid a bust. I'm just saying uh, that, you know, you knew that was either going to go real well or it was going to be a challenge. And, and, you know, maybe at this point they're still trying to work some things out and really get a feeling for, for how he projects moving forward. Yeah. I mean, I think they certainly are. There's got to be a certain level of maturity and consistent, you know, business-like approach if you're going to succeed in college football. And I, I don't know that they've got that from him so far. Yeah, with with Hamsa, hell, we we could have the conversation right now, unless we have a question. Do we, we have a question about that? I don't think we do. Um, yeah, so let's do. And and I will try to be exceptionally selective with my words here because I I think the world of uh, of Nashville Dean as a player, and by all accounts, he's a pretty decent person as well. Uh, and a great program guy. And this is probably only a conversation that you have if you're two and four and you're, <laughs> and you're looking at things. Um, but at some point you've got to either, you know, you've got to get a feel for if that kid's coming back. And if he's not, I, I don't know that you're particularly well served by having somebody at practice that the rest of the team knows, Yeah, maybe he can play, maybe he can't. 
but he doesn't seem to be playing this week. And uh, like I said, by all accounts, Hamza is a great locker room presence and uh, and an asset. But I just wonder if there comes a, a definitive point in time where you just shake the kid's hand, thank him for the plays that he made. And, and like I said, if he's healthy, that kid's going to have a chance to play in the league for seven or eight years and uh, go ahead and tell him to start getting ready for that. And there's always... You know, there's always complicating factors. And when you're talking about college athletes, a lot of times you're talking about, you know, kids or their parents. And sometimes that's said with kind of a negative connotation. It's, I don't know that it necessarily is. It just means that there's, you know, other people in the, because you're dealing with kids, there's other people involved in the equation. It's not necessarily a, you know, a 27 year old uh, professional. So I know that that can be a complicated situation. I just, wonder at some point in time if both parties aren't better served by clearing up some of the amb- ambiguity that might exist there. Ambiguity is the right word. If if you listen to Mike Norvell speak on this in, in his press conferences, you can tell it's kind of a, a delicate situation, if, if you will. It, it, his answers are, are kind of like, like Hamza will, will play when, when, when he's ready to play. In saying that, it's like, wait, when he's ready to play, does that mean like when he thinks he's ready to play? or when Florida State thinks he's ready to play. I think one of your challenges here is that like, it's not always just between player and team, right? Players have external factors uh, advising them, whether that's you know, parents or business interests or whomever. You know, maybe they say, hey, like, like, don't, don't play. This defense looks, looks poor this year. Or don't play. Are you sure you're actually 100%? And I, I'm not a doctor. I, I don't know what percent recovered hops is. I know that was certainly a nasty injury. And I think he had a setback there in, in, in camp or, or shortly before camp. But yeah, that that's, I think that's a situation that this staff has had to manage that I don't know that it thought it was going to have to manage counter to your point though. If he doesn't play at all this year and he gets some feedback from the draft that says, uh, man, not playing for a whole year, you know, like you had an impressive back half of 2019, but like, that's, you know, that's kind of your best tape by far. Do you risk not being able to bring him back in 2021 because he's got the extra year. Yeah. I mean, there, there is a risk there. I would say that they're, it's low, right? <laughs> I would say maybe less than 10%, maybe yeah. less than eight, 5% that that is the case, but it's, you know, it's worth having them back your mind. And certainly there's been kids that have come back that, you know, for the foreseeable uh, timeline, you would not have thought there was any, you know, you wouldn't have thought there was a snowball chance in hell they were going to come back. So I, I don't want to dismiss that. I would just say in general, I would think, yeah, I think there's a 90% chance that that Hamza's either on a roster or a practice squad next year for an NFL team. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. So let's go ahead and get into these listener questions. Uh, the first one, Marat says, what are the lessons learned from F, or for FSU from the Louisville against Virginia Tech game that can be applied to the matchup with Pitt? So if you guys didn't see it over the weekend, uh, Louisville got pretty well beaten down by Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech's a much better team than Florida State is. I will say that off the bat. Uh, where here we go? Yeah, so I'll, I'll read to you what what, what I have down. Uh, Vatech thirty two or forty two, Louisville thirty five. The game was a reversal of momentum for the Hokies. It was bouncing back after the embarrassing loss to Wake Forest. For Louisville, it was giving back momentum at game from thumping Florida State the week prior. Louisville never had the ball with an opportunity to tie or take the lead once Vatech raced out to its multi score margin. Every time the Cards would score, the Hokies would answer. Louisville's offense was again wildly inconsistent. The Cards committed three turnovers which led to a big advantage for the Hokies of almost 200 yards in field position. Uh, and an enormous chunk of Louisville's offense came on a 90-yard run on a give-up play to end the half. Did you see that, by the way? I did not, no. It was like third and 15, and Louisville pops a 90-yarder on basically like a give-up handoff to to uh, 
uh, Hassan, who's you know obviously pretty fast. We saw that two weeks ago, uh, and then a uh, eighty-seven or eighty-two yard touchdown pass for the card. So about one hundred seventy other yards came on on two plays there. Uh, Louisville had a fifty-three percent success rate against, or excuse me, uh, Vatek had a fifty-three percent success rate against Louisville, which is sky high. Vitek had twenty-one first downs, and the only, which is not crazy, but they only faced third down seven times in the game. So like they were consistently converting on first and second down. Uh, lessons that you can take from the Louisville versus VTech game, which I, I, I did watch this. You know, I, I don't think there are many. Uh, VTech has a really good offensive line. Florida State has, has a, a you know, below average offensive line and has to, has to really work their offense around that offensive line. Um, Hendon Hooker had a nice day throwing the ball when, when, when he did throw. The lessons, I, I think, are the lessons. In the, to me, they're internal lessons. They're you know, do your job, actually trust your assignment and, and try to play good team defense and and don't freelance. We saw that for about two plays against, against Louisville in the FSU game. And then they kind of they kind of panicked and, and and freaked out. I do think it's hard to get buy-in from guys who have had three different head coaches and, and all these regime changes. And like just naturally they're not going to trust you. And you didn't have your you didn't have your your regular type offseason to be able to instill the, the, the trust in these guys. You know, and we said this all offseason. Zoom is not a substitute to instill instill your culture. I think there's a lot of guys who just don't trust this staff right now, particularly particularly a lot of your older guys who are on defense. But they're your better players as far as talent and experience. So it's not like you can bench all. Yeah. Um, Derek asks, what changes do you see in Florida State's defensive game plan when preparing for Pitt with Pickett and Pitt without Pickett? Where would a healthy Pickett rank among ACC quarterbacks? Yeah. So uh, Kenny Pickett is the Pitt quarterback. I we have not seen any kind of announcement as to whether he'll be back for this game. Uh, there was some thought that he had ankle surgery before the Miami game, and we'll, we'll kind of see how he comes back from that. Personally, here I I really don't know if he's going to play. Right, I haven't seen anything on that. I I I think if you're at FSU, you have to prepare like he's going to play. But I, I will tell you guys that, that Kenny Pickett was having a, a pretty nice year. Uh, Pitt's run game is is not very good overall. They have to throw the ball all the time. And they're not super efficient at throwing it, but but I will note this. So Kenny Pickett on the year, 60% passer, not great. Hard to sack, 4.3% sack rate. Adjusted net yards per attempt, 7.3, which is quite high. Now his backups, who have played in two successive games, Joey Yellen is the main backup. They, they played the Devis uh, Davis Bevel kid, who's a freshman for a couple snaps. But for the most part, you've seen Yellen in two games. It's been bad. 45% completions, which is like Jordan Travis numbers. Touchdown interception, one to three. Sack percentage, 6.2. Adjusted net yards per attempt, 2.9. Kenny Pickett's about 150% better than this kid is. I would say overall that you probably want to blitz Pickett more than, uh, that, that, than you would want to bless the other kid. I, I think the other kid, you just, you say, okay, you're not accurate enough and, and good enough right now to consistently beat us with, with Pickett, I think you try to want, you want to try to get sacks. Uh, Pizzo line this year has been a little bit disappointing. They've not been able to run the ball that well in most of their games, although they've had a couple games where, where they've run it. Okay. This is a big difference in this game. If Pickett plays, I'm going to pick, pick to, I'm going to pick Pitt to win because I, I don't think Florida state has, has a prayer to block Pitt with FSU's offensive line. However, if Yellen plays, I think that that is a, a game in which I would probably lean towards picking Florida State to play. 
uh, or excuse me, to, to win the game. So as far as defensive game plan, I think you probably want to play a little bit more man and bring a little more pressure if, uh, if Pickett plays. And I think you'd probably want to play more zone if, if, uh, if Yellen plays. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, going into the year, I think I might have thought slightly higher than Bud uh, as to where Pickett ranked, but I, I would have had him probably around fifth or sixth in the conference as far as quarterbacks, and uh, he's done nothing to kind of sway me of that opinion. He's, a, he's an above-average quarterback who has some nice days and uh, at times plays like an average quarterback. So It's a good quarterback league this year. It is, especially with the emergence of the NC State guy before he got injured. I would agree with you. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And Hooker's playing quite well. Howell's playing quite well. Obviously, you have the Trevor Lawrence kid. Clemson, DJ is probably an upper half starter in the league already, even though he's, he's the Clemson backup. I and mean, that, that, that dude's dynamite. It's, it's been a very good quarterback league. I, I would, I would still have Pickett in the upper half of, of, of QBs. He, he's done a lot for that offense and he takes some shots, man. He, he that, that guy gets beat up for sure. Pause real quickly here to thank the legendary team at Hamilton Home Loans. We did pass 100 loans from Nolcast listeners, uh, sent out five more packages. Uh, Ingram and I were joking. We were going through the email for some questions this morning. And he's like, dude, two, two more closings. I was like, wow, that's awesome. Give Shannon and Chad a call, 844-FSU-LOAN. It's 844-FSU-LOAN. Great rates, knowledge of the industry, experience, and they really have your best interest at heart. 844-FSU-LOAN. I made the decision twice for my home loan and for my refi, you should make the decision too if it's right for you. Eight four four FSU loan. Mark, ask any word on the players only meeting? Yeah, never a good sign when you see the old uh, you know players only meeting going on. Normally, it means that uh, either you've had some rough times or something's transpired. Uh, look, this two and four program trying to find its footing. It doesn't surprise me that there's a players only meeting, uh, Bud. You may be able to give some some ideas to what the uh, you know, the subject matter was, or if there was a desired outcome from it, but I, you know, the older I get, the less attention I really pay to a, a player's only meeting to be perfectly honest with you. I think it was kind of a bust, man. Um, I like, I, as far as I know, it, it happened. I don't think that the whole team showed up to, to this thing. I, I think it was, you know, some dudes who aren't super happy with, with how things are going. What I was told, and this is from somebody who would know, is it basically like some of these guys were not happy that Florida State was was holding a weekend practice during the bye week? Now, look, if you're Florida State, there's some obvious reasons why you would do this. Mainly, it reduces the chance that your guys go home, which increases the chance they they come back with COVID. If you keep them around around campus, you reduce the chance that that the, the COVID protocols are, are are busted. There's zero chance that that all these guys are, are going to stay socially distanced and, you know, away from people if they go back home. I totally understand from the player standpoint, why you wouldn't want to practice on a weekend. Like you have a lot of these guys haven't seen their family in a couple of months. You know, they, they want to go home and, and see everybody, you know, from FSU's perspective, you're trying to get better as a team. And from a player perspective, I mean, this team, this team is going nowhere this year, right? Like it's already a huge pain to, like not go out on Halloween and not do all these things, not not go to parties, not not socialize at all, just to go two and four and probably finish with a losing record. I, I get their perspective on that. There were some rumblings that like if, if FSU held that practice, that some of these dudes who I think are more veteran guys on the team and don't really care, uh, we're, we're going to try to convince guys to opt out. As far as I know, I don't think this that this went anywhere, though. 
Like, I don't think any, I don't think any players did opt out. You know, um, I don't think any players skipped practice, at least not to my knowledge. Um, uh, so I think it was more just dudes being angry, but I don't think that they got the, the young guys to show up to the meeting, at least not much. And I think there's some, pl- some parents as well who are not a positive influence on what the coaching staff is trying to do right now. Does that, does that make sense? I, I know you've heard a lot of that stuff. Yeah, certainly. And, you know, to an extent, you'll hear that about any college locker room if they're not 10 and one or something like, you know, I mean, that, that, that is kind of true to college football, wherever you look, but, ah, oh, man, I don't know. I mean, uh, real tired of, of aspects of this roster kind of trying to, leverage things um, when maybe they really, you know, don't have a whole lot of leverage and I, and I have a lot of empathy for what you're talking about being able to travel on the pie week. And uh, I don't know, man, uh, there are, you know, this, this football program will be better uh, with a two year churn just from a loss roster perspective and, and not saying that these are bad kids, but uh, there is no singular voice vision or want uh, that is shared by the broader group at this point in time. And, and maybe is uh as you you turn the roster over, you get a little bit more of a singular voice and, and a singular desire because there seems to be, uh, you know, people pulling in different directions at times. Yeah, certainly. I, I, I don't think football is the primary focus for, for, all, for all the football players on the roster, you know, and, and especially with the way the season's going. But we discussed this in a lot of pods and people didn't want to hear it. Like, look, in a, in a weird COVID year, there are certain things you kind of have to do to keep people happy. Yeah, I mean that's uh, that that's the only really stuff I know on, on the players only meeting. Uh, but I, it, to me, it was sort of a look when, when I when I heard this, you know, and some of the parents and, and get involved. I was like, okay, like this roster is going nowhere this year for sure. I mean, like they they don't they don't have the buy in. Megan asks, "What's your prediction for the last five games of the season, ranking most to least winnable, wrapping up with your mid season end of the year prediction, including who is the starting quarterback at the end of the year?" All right, Megan, interesting question there. So let's just take the Clemson game out of the equation. Um, you don't think you're going to win that one? I don't, no. And even with like the, hey, what if 12 people get COVID? No, you're not winning the Clemson game. Um, if it's the right 12, and then you have like like another 20 from contact tracing. Yeah, yeah, okay. So the second half of your statement. <laughs> I need the second half of your statement. I don't know that there's a right 12, um, but yeah, maybe. Maybe I'm wrong. Happy to be so. Their punter was th- was throwing completing passes on Georgia Tech. They, they they put him in at the end of that, that huge blowout. Yeah, that Georgia Tech Clemson game that'll that'll be something to keep an eye on uh, over the years. That's uh, two programs that don't seem to get along all that well for for whatever reason at this point in time, and that leads to getting beat by in the seventies, which is kind of hilarious. All right, so back to back to Megan's question here. Shoot. So winnable. I mean, I'll just rip mine off, bud, and you can tell me where you think. Duke is your most winnable game at this point, depending on the quarterback situation. Virginia obviously had a nice little win against UNC, but has otherwise kind of had a disappointing year. I'd still probably have that as your second most winnable. NC State is third, uh, again, depending on where they are with quarterback pit. Clemson as the last five. Yeah, a lot of this stuff is is quarterback related. I I will pick Duke as as my most winnable game, uh, even though it's it's on the road. It's a little bit tough for me to project the mentality of this team going into that game. It's going to be cold, too. I mean, most likely, which you never know what you're going to get. Uh, last game of the year, Durham, North Carolina, <laughs> 
playing a sleepy nooner and it's 40, you know, 41 degrees for a bunch of Florida kids. They may not care, but like they, they've, some of these guys have not shown up for, for certainly bigger games than this. I will say my, my number two is, is at NC state. I think NC state has pretty big issues with their quarterback uh, being out. Leary's very good. Their backups are, are not particularly good. Um, now if Pitt, if, if, uh, if Pickett doesn't play, I think I would actually have Pitt as my number two most winnable. Uh, and then my number four most winnable uh, is Virginia. Virginia got its, got its quarterback back. That they, they ended up beating UNC over the weekend. Um, I, I think the way they they play offensively will, will give Florida State some trouble. I don't know if you noticed that the FSU defense is not particularly disciplined uh, this year. So, uh, yeah, those are my four. They're basically all kind of toss-ups. And so I will say... For for my my predicted finish, I I think they'll they'll finish out two and three, uh, to go four and seven on the year. But honestly, anywhere between one and four and three and two is like very reasonable to finish. I mean, very. Um, Megan asks another question. That is, what are the chances we get Brandon Jennings back in the fold? I mean, they're going to keep recruiting him. I don't think they think that that uh, you know the line of communication is dead, but I do think they were a little caught off guard by the perception internally. My understanding was that there was no immediate destination for Jennings uh, upon his decommitment. Well, when a kid commits five days later or whatever, then either didn't have the relationship that you thought with the kid or something happened there. So uh, it may be hard. I may have a little bit of skepticism as to where the staff is right now with that relationship. Obviously, it's a legacy kid. I mean, look, it's a kid that committed in his father's, you know, 1999 Sugar Bowl National Championship jersey. I think you're always going to, you know, have a have a kid that takes the call and and gives you, a, you know, gives you the option to kind of pitch your pitch. But I am pretty skeptical. I would put it at less than probably 15, 20% at this point in time. I, I think that that's fair. Uh yeah, I I don't think he's going to get back in the fold. I've worked with you long enough that sometimes I know less words mean more, and uh, we'll we'll leave your answer at that. Um, all right, so Blake asked a good question. Bud and I were talking a couple nights ago, and uh, and so Blake's question is, what's going on with Akeem Dent? Bud and I were talking a couple nights ago, and I was like, man, if you could give the coaches truth serum and just have them tell you for five minutes what they think about one particular player on the team and what his trajectory looks like, I think mine would be Akeem Dent. I'd, I'd love to have an honest assessment as to where they think he is, where they think he will be, and kind of why he has suffered uh, what can only be labeled a exceptionally disappointing uh, second year. So, um, yeah, what is going on with Akeem Dent, in your opinion, bud? I don't know, man. I really don't. Like, he just doesn't look like he's playing with confidence to, to me. And, and thus, uh, I, I think it's, it's making him play slow. Like, I, I don't. Part of it, I think, is that he has constantly been hurt. And I don't mean like fake hurt. And some guys, some guys in college football, when, when they, when they like the college experience, but they don't actually like, like they realize they're not going to be a starter. They, they end up faking injuries basically throughout a lot of their career because they like, they end up losing their love for football. They want to stay around, you know, be on the team, get, get the scholarship and the, the meals and books and, you know, be able to say they're a football player for, for you know the other benefits that gets you, but they don't really want to to get out there and bang at practice all, all the time. I, I don't think that's the case with with Akeem. I, I don't think Akeem's injuries have been fake. I think they've been real. And I think they've been really unfortunate. 
I think this staff was counting on him before he before he went down, um, you know, with, with, with the injury there in late spring. I think he's just man. He's had a bunch of injuries. I'm not saying he's lost a step, but I do think that he he's not playing confident to me. He's not playing with, with that cocky confidence that we saw him play with all throughout high school. So I, I think he just needs an off season, man, like a, a healthy off season, a healthy spring where they, they can kind of get him down to basics. It's not something you can necessarily do during the year. Uh, and, and then we'll see, but like, I think it, a lot of this just comes back to not being on the practice field, not being in games through a lot of his career now due to injuries and, and struggling to be right. Like he just needs a run of health, which sucks, but sometimes that's just it. Yeah, run of health, and I completely agree. You really need to just start the build over with him and, and get him in spring, have him, you know, dominate some some of your lesser wide receivers in practice and start to get confidence and start to – you really need a whole kind of reboot uh, with Dent. And obviously there's a player there. Um, it'll be fascinating to see ultimately what they get out of him. We will thank our friends at uh, Congruity. Congruity has been a great partner for us, and they can be a great partner for you as well. Congruity is experiencing your business optimized uh, with meaningful outsourced HR comp- uh, for companies just like yours. Congruity's human resource and compliance solutions are designed to maximize employee productivity, improve employee relations, and reduce employer risk associated with personal administration. So whether it be HR, compliance, payroll, tax administration, workers' comp, employee benefits, Congruity can help your business uh, on a wide scope of things. We certainly encourage you to reach out to our friend, Matt Lewis. Matt can be reached at 844-247-4100. Again, 844-247-4100 or via email at Knowles at CongruityHR.com. Dude, use Congruity. They're awesome. Let's get to the next question here. Jason wants to say, hey, can you touch on the final recruiting priorities? And is DeQuavion Fuller a commit? I never hear about him. Okay, so the class currently sits officially at 16 commits. I wrote recently about how certain staffs are going to hold back a number of spots for, for transfers. I think FSU staff will do that because they have not had a chance to see very many uh, of these kids in person. They've never met a lot of these kids in person in their class right now. And they certainly haven't had a chance to work them out. As far as uh, Quavion Fuller, who is the little brother of uh, of Quayshon Fuller, do you ever see him posting edits on Twitter that that a lot of the other commits get sent? Yeah, uh, that has stood out to me recently. I, you know, and uh, you don't ever want to extrapolate too much from social media, but I, I do think Florida State's team is is much more you know, aware as to what they're doing than maybe in years past. So I would put a little bit more stock into it. And like some of the things that you see out there, this makes you feel uncomfortable to almost talk about because I'm in my mid thirties and you're talking about monitoring 18 year old social media or stuff like that. But um, it is recruiting and it matters. And if you look at stuff like that, like some of the birthday wishes, some of the things that are built uh, trying to kind of portray the class as a whole, I don't see fuller involved in that stuff. And it, it makes me skeptical as to ultimately if he's in the plans for this year's class. Yeah, we've had some people send us that stuff. And at first it was like, oh, whatever. But looking at it, I mean, he might not be on these graphics for a reason. And, you know, just being frank here, I don't think he's a bad player. I think he'll play college football somewhere. But in watching his highlight tape from his senior year, I don't see a guy that can play at Florida State. 
no, I, I, I don't consider him a, a commit to class. And I, I don't know anybody on staff who does either. So they're done at quarterback. I think they're done at the offensive line in, unless, you know, somebody were to pop up uh, that is a really elite tackle level prospect. Uh, running back, they, they still, they, they want Katravian Hargrove. I think they would take a guy if it's a Hargrove or better level player. Receiver, they, they want to take one Destin Hill. I think they realize that dif- the difficulty that, that, that getting Hill, which, uh, it's, it's Hill, uh, formerly last name Pazon. He, he switched his last name. So Destin Hill is the guy from Louisiana. Look, if, if coach Yak, co- coach, you know, coach Johnson, the, the running backs coach who, who has all the Louisiana connections, if he can pull this kid, that, that's a huge pull for FSU. He's a very good player. Ultimately, FSU's not really throwing the ball well at all right now. They're having a bad season and some programs that are, are, looking much better on the field are uh, are having you know some success recruiting the kid notably Florida so we'll see what happens there I do think they want to take another high school receiver uh, Chauncey Magwood is a guy to watch he actually plays a lot of quarterback in high school uh, at uh, up your way in Georgia he's a Kentucky commit Kentucky is having even less success throwing the football than Florida State is this year Kentucky just for uh, for reference here, yeah, they're 98th in passing explosiveness um, on the year, 93rd in passing success rate. Their quarterbacks are completing, yeah, not great. Adjusted net yards, 5.4 and 3.0. They have thrown four touchdown passes all season. So their leading receiver on the year has 328 yards. That's that's not great, certainly. So Magwood's a guy to watch if FSU starts to slip more with uh, with with Destin Hill. Defensive end, I think they would like to take another one personally, uh, especially because they they lost the commitment of Jennings, who you and I didn't think he was a linebacker. We, we, we thought he was a fox. So that's a particularly bad loss uh, for them. I don't think they want to take just a body. You know what I mean? They 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 like they like the Byron Turner kid. I, I think he he could be a decent player for them. Farmer, I think, has some upside, but he's not a great high school player right now. You know, he doesn't dominate like you, you would think he necessarily would, but he's he's able to play. D tackle, they're still in on, on Taiwan Malone. If another guy emerges late, and, and we I think we will see more people emerge late this year just because of the pandemic and not having seen guys in summer camps and some dudes just bust out of nowhere. By the way, the Kelly kid they have committed in the 22 class, holy cow. If you didn't see that, the the, the highlight he put up, from his first game, that is just incredible. Like he is much better than 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 anybody I know realized. And so that now they're going to have a fight on their hands to keep him for twenty two. But he is a stud. So, oh, the uh, the other kid, DN Pat Payton, I think is a guy that they feel like like they have a shot with. Currently committed to uh, Nebraska, out of South Florida. Apparently, he's put on some muscle and, and is looking better. This is a Northwestern kid. Yeah, and I think yeah. they would take. Uh, I, I think they would they would take another DB. If a stud emerges, but, but you, you'll notice here that a lot of my notations are, if it's a real difference maker, they'll take another one. I don't think that they want to roll the dice on a high school kid whose ceiling is just decent. I think you're okay taking a guy who, who's a, you know, who could be a bust as long as he has a high ceiling, but they don't want to get stuck with a four year mistake. And I think that we're, honestly, I'm hearing that from a lot of new staffs this year. So they might only take 16 or 17 high school guys which leaves them open for about nine transfers if they wanted to. Now, maybe they'll take 20, maybe they'll take 18. There's not that many more guys that I know they they 
Like not, there's not that many more positions where they absolutely have to take another high school kid at. We talked a couple episodes about what the numbers of the class might look like and how many guys ultimately they may be trying to target in the portal. We talked about five, six, seven. I, ultimately, I think it'll be seven, maybe more. I mean, I, and, and when I talk to people that I trust down there and the numbers that are associated with, with the high school kids, that's, that's the biggest takeaway for me. I mean, you're right. There's some kids here that if they get any kind of traction with, uh, it'd be great if the Byron Young kid who kind of popped up on the radar at the end of our last podcast, if they have success with him, then maybe that's somebody that they would uh, really try to, to chase after. But I think there's going to be a lot of room left in the portal, and I expect Florida State uh, to have a pretty pretty heavy incoming and, and for that matter, outgoing uh, as to the portal. And I think a, a decent amount of your roster next year will be uh, not portal-based. I'm not trying to say that, but a lot of the holes – uh, that are trying to be plugged are going to be via portal because you either get a kid or you get a kid that's out in you know uh, one to two years for the most part. So, like you said, there's not nearly the uh, risk associated with uh, trying to make an evaluation when the circumstances on making an evaluation have never been harder because of 2020. Also, th- this allows you to take a larger 2022 class. Yeah, which at this point you feel almost is your first you know real legitimate class. Yeah, that, that, that'll kind of be their make or break class. That's going to be important for sure. This, I think just you guys can pick up on this, the language of, of the, uh, the language of the show. Like this is a long-term rebuild. You know, guys not really caring about football. Guys who the staff really can't, can't get through to who, you know, maybe don't care about football. You know, positions that are going to take several years to rebuild. Matt wants to know. He had a pretty creative question, by the way. He, he said, uh, Alex Atkins needs to be personally sponsored by Louisiana Hot Sauce because he can both take mundane ingredients and make them at least palatable. It's hard for me to think of a staff hire from Ravel that has been more of a success than Atkins. It worries me that he will be the first one plundered when a G5 coaching job opens. What are his current contract terms? What What is the going rate for a top five or top 10 offensive line coach? Can FSU afford him long term? Uh, so he's currently under contract. It's a multi-year contract. The reason why people think you know Atkins might might become a head coach somewhere is because he's certainly on that track. I think um, I don't think it's going to happen after just one year at a Power Five job. To me, that's that's a little bit quick. I think he'll probably need to stay you know like several years more more than just two before he gets legit legit, legit crack at a at a P five job. What's the going rate for a top five or top ten offensive line coach? Um, certainly over half a million. I don't know if anybody makes makes a million as an O line coach unless unless they're a coordinator as well. You probably have some that are in that seven fifty range. Unless I'm missing somebody as, as, as far as the million dollar range. I, what was Pittman making at Georgia? Like seven hundred? Yeah, that was my immediate question. Is to go check on what uh, what Pittman was making or what Luke uh, is now making because Georgia likes to pay people. Pittman's final season at UGA was making nine hundred thousand. Looks like. Uh, Luke is base 375 with a 525 of additional compensation. So, yeah, he's right there. Just what, eight? What is that, eight? Uh, that's that's nine. So, And Ole Miss is still paying Luke, by the way. So there, there's that element, too. Yeah, yeah. So that's probably, that's probably some of that. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, you top out at 900K. I think, you know, Florida State can't afford to write blank checks, and, and certainly everybody's going to have their budgets impacted and reassessed by what's happened over the last six or seven months. Uh, but I, of my financial concerns, Florida State being able to hang on to an offensive line coach is not one of them. I, I think if they uh, – look, if, if he leaves, 
I don't think it'll be because Florida State can't be competitive from a contract standpoint. Absolutely correct. Yeah, and especially g- given the issues that FSU's had with offensive line over the last like four years, they'll pay. Yeah, they'll pay. I'm just telling you all right now. Uh, people will pay what's necessary to keep him here. So. I, I completely agree. Um, Eric asks an email on a recent episode. You've discussed different blocking schemes from what we saw against Notre Dame and UNC, which were more gap schemes. What we struggled against with Louisville, which was zone scheme. What types of blocking schemes do the team run or do the teams run in the upcoming winnable games? Love the show and eat up as much as Louisiana hot sauce as I can since I live in Indiana. Can't easily support your other sponsors. Eric, really appreciate that. So uh, quickly, Pitt looks like they run a lot of gap to me, uh, just just from some of the stuff I watched this morning in in response to this question. They also run some inside zone. I, I need to go back and watch what they were doing with Pickett. They may have changed what they were doing slightly. Uh, Virginia is typically a team that's going to run a lot of zone. I have not watched uh, Duke yet. NC State last year that they, they were running a pretty good bit of zone. Now they have a new offensive coordinator, so they've mixed it up a little bit more. I want to see what they do in some of their upcoming games. Uh, most most notably, you'll be able to watch them this Friday night against Miami. But with them, a lot of it is just without Leary, their their quarterback situation is is rough. So we will thank our friends at Madison Social, as we always talk about. They're just a, an amplifier of the experience of being a Florida State athletic supporter. So, you know, whether it be <laughs> that a student tweets them uh, mid-game about getting a, a tattoo that they end up retweeting and ultimately ends up on college game day as uh, as uh, <laughs> as our man Jack got a, a the kind of iconic picture of Mike Norvell at this point during his time at Central Arkansas uh, after the the UNC upset or whatever else they do, they just have the pulse on the the finger of being a Florida State athletic supporter in a way that uh, is really hard to to even verbalize. So sometimes you need examples like that uh, to point it out. So whether it be going in on a Monday and getting the the five dollar classic burger, waiting for the seventeenth of each month and getting the uh, the Reuben sandwich that I'm such a fan of. Uh, there's so many great options at Madison Social, Townships, and Trolley. Um, and then they obviously have a large uh, hospitality and kind of catering side of their business as well. So keep them in mind, uh, whether it be just a burger, keep them in mind if you're trying to feed 55 people burgers for a, for a workplace luncheon or anything else. So uh, tip of the hat to our friends down at College Town, and, and we thank them for their support as always. Absolutely. Great place to have, have a little, little graduation dinner as well. They have, they have the private room. So Make sure you give them a shout on that. I know actually we've had several listeners uh, have a graduation or, or, or you know, engagement celebration event there, and, and the feedback has been awesome. Yeah. So we've got a couple other questions here that we'll probably have to table just for time purposes. We've got a real interesting question about the evolution of NBA big men and whether or not that bleeds into the sport of college football that we took from Twitter, and I'm interested in having a discussion on that. Uh, but, Bud, this has, been a, this has been kind of a concentrated show that has had a – a decent amount of energy and, and information, hopefully in a, in a small period of time, thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, thank our listeners as always for giving us the opportunity to have conversations like this and, and letting the Nolcast keep on kind of rolling down the road. All right, buddy. So we will take these, these final two, uh, I believe on the next show. We will. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith music by Judson Wright and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles.